Amen. Thank you, Jimmy. We are so glad to have you here and we appreciate the music. What a blessing. Thanks for sharing with us this morning. We want to look at the book of Revelation again. We have looked sporadically at that, a little bit here, a little there over recent months. We've been dealing with a good bit of it on Wednesday nights. It's easier to do there where it's informal and it's more of a Bible study atmosphere. Uh, Revelation's tough. It's a tough book. Uh, maybe you've tried to read through the book of Revelation and you thought, man, I'm just not sure I got anything out of that. Or I'm not sure what I was supposed to interpret out of that. Or what did that mean? Or what were all those images about? And so it's very difficult and it makes for challenging material for a Sunday morning service. So I want to look at just six verses with you this morning. And I want you to see three things. And we will not understand all that he talks about in these six verses. I promise you that up front. Uh, there'll be details and things that are foggy or confusing or over our heads. We're in deep water. But I want us to see three things that you probably already know from other scripture, but we are reminded about this morning from these verses. And so uh, you can either follow on the screen, grab a pew Bible, or open your own to Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to look at the first six verses. The title of this morning is... Uh, Scripture is the woman, the dragon, and the sun. What a title. And, and that's from the Bible. And uh, so we'll turn to that in Revelation 12, 1. And John begins to speak there. And he says, a great sign appeared in heaven. A mega sign appears in heaven. Uh, he uses the Greek word mega, from which we get the English word mega, which means big. In Athens, Greece, they have mega stores, which is like Walmart, and they're big, uh, as big as they get in that part of the world. Anyhow, this is a mega sign, something big. John looks up, however he sees this stuff in the book of Revelation, he looks up and he sees uh, yet another sign. Now, if you've been tracking along on Wednesday nights or you're familiar with the book, you know by the time you get down to chapter 12, everything on planet Earth is blown up, burned out, blown away. It's, a, it's amazing that there's anything still remaining at all at this point. And chapter 12 sort of marks a transition, and you're on the threshold, having gone through all the trumpets and all those seals and all that stuff in the early chapters. Now you're coming down to seven bowls of wrath that are going to be poured out on the human experience and planet Earth. It's just an incredible bombardment of the human culture. And so John looks up, and here's a great sign in heaven. Uh, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And so your first question is, I don't understand the sun, I don't understand the moon, I don't understand the crown, I don't understand the stars. What in the world is all of that about? And it raises for us immediately, who's the woman in the first place? And you can go through all the Bible commentaries and come up with different options. And uh, our Catholic friends might say, well, that's obviously Mary, the mother of Jesus, from what we see in that verse and what follows. This is Mary, but that doesn't really connect with what some of the other scriptures says. That doesn't work very well. Some have said that the woman is Israel and that the Messiah is going to come through Israel. And so she in this image, and remember, this is not to be taken too literally. These are images representing other things. Uh, but that image represents the nation of Israel, and I struggle with that one too. Let me give you uh, a third possibility. Way back when I was in seminary, I took a course on the book of Revelation, a three-week crash course in December between quarters 
And we read through the commentary by Robert Mounts, which is still sold as the NIC commentary for the book of Revelation. And old Robert Mounts said, the woman is not Mary, but the Messianic community. Messianic meaning having to do with the Messiah, the anticipated Savior. But it's the Messianic community. The woman comes to signify the church, the people of God, throughout all redemptive history. And he makes a minimum distinction between Israel and the church, and it's just the Lord's people. So he's probably approaching, if he's not there, he's approaching the truth. Uh, But it's the Lord's plan. My old teacher in Chicago, Walter Kaiser, wrote a, a great book called The Promised Plan of God. And it talks about everything from Genesis 3 until where we are in Revelation today and beyond is God's progressive plan of redemption built around a promise. And the promise is, in the face of the human dilemma of sin and our inability to solve our own problems, God's got a plan. God has a promise. The plan is built around the promise, not of just events, but of one who would bring to pass your redemption, meaning, of course, Jesus. So the woman has something to do with that. And we will understand some of that better by and by. But there she is pictured with the glory of the sun around her and the moon under her feet and a crown with 12 stars. And you got all these sevens and twelves in the imagery. And in verse 2, it says, And she was with child and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Now that's those first two verses, that's our first, we're going into three parts in our passage this morning that's the first part this woman who's giving birth to a child now who she is is somewhat confirmed for us in a later portion of chapter 12 we're not looking at this morning but if you went all the way down to verse 17 you'd find John recording this so the dragon we're going to learn about the dragon in a minute the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and, and hear John carefully, and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. So the woman is uh, part of the process of the Jesus people. This is a Christian passage. It's not about Israel. It's not about a lot of things that have been speculated about. It has something to do with the Lord Jesus' people. And maybe that will come in, become increasingly clear to you as you wade deeper into chapter 12. But she is there. She's about to give birth. And the one she's about to give birth to is going to change everything in the imagery. And we'll see, of course, that this is about our Jesus. Now, verse 3, we, we march into the next portion of this passage of Scripture. It says, Then another sign appeared in heaven... And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. We had a fifth birthday party at our house yesterday for Little Cliff, and it was a dinosaur-themed birthday. And so there were dinosaurs around on plates and cakes and uh, toys, and you've got all these dinosaur images And uh, those of you that recently went to the ark in Kentucky, you remember all the dinosaurs and how they addressed that in light of the creation account. Uh, But it was a dinosaur day. And a lot of those dinosaurs look kind of like dragons. This is my brick Bible. At least one other member of the church has uh, 
I think Sophia has a brick Bible. Our Andrew says, Dad, don't promote the brick Bible because some things in there are not biblically precise and some things in the first edition were sort of inappropriate and don't, anyhow, so I'm not recommending the brick Bible today. Uh, but this is the New Testament. This is put about Legos and some, I'll, probably most of you know about Legos. If you've raised a kid in the last generation, uh, our kids were obsessed with Legos and building things with Legos. And so they've created this whole Bible with Lego figures as sort of a cartoon format. And since you can't do Legos about Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, it's not a lot. They, they really go heavy for the book of Revelation. So I pulled out my brick Bible, uh, Lego Bible this week and, and looked for the dragon. And so now I know exactly what he looks like. That's what he lo- I was going to put it on the screen and I didn't get there, but... See the red dragon? Imagine trying to come up with seven plastic heads and then put crowns on their heads and all the stars and all the images. Very hard to depict. Now that's kind of cartoonish and kind of humorous. But John would say, laugh at that, but I'm talking about a big red dragon that's no joke. And this is Revelation imagery, but what it imagines for us is a powerful force of devastating evil. John says, I'm looking, and I just saw the image of the woman in this video that's going by in front of his head. And and then he says, "Uh, then I saw another sign, a great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns. I've read the prophecy books. I know what you're thinking, and you've some of you read Hal Lindsey and all that. I'm not going to try to say the seven heads are this and the ten horns are that and, and get into all that speculation. John is trying to present for us an image, and it's, he doesn't make it, he's just reporting it to us, this image of the red dragon, this picture of satanic evil. That's a force of darkness. And it's a reminder of what the Bible has taught coming down to the book of Revelation about Satan and his domain and his influence. Peter wrote in his second letter, uh, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And Peter's drawing back on all that imagery of judgment falling on some of the spiritual realm that we don't see with our eyes and hear with our ears. The prophet Isaiah writing about 700 years before Jesus said, how you have fallen from heaven. This passage of this prophecy is often attributed to the world of Satan and Satan's fall from glory to judgment. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You've been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise or raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly and the recesses of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol and the recesses of the pit. Isaiah's just an incredible book. It too is very challenging to read and understand the fullness of what it means. But Here's this ongoing description of the forces of darkness, the forces of evil. Revelation 12, 4 says, And his tail swept a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. That's part of the imagery where you get the the telling of 
Satan leading a third of the host of heaven with him in rebellion against God. We're not going to get into all the details of that, but here's this picture of this big red dragon and his tail symbolically sweeps through God's territory, creating destruction and rebellion. He says, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. Don't forget the first image, the woman giving birth. And now he says, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So that it might devour the child the moment he was born. He went all the way back to the beginning of your Bible, to the book of Genesis, the first book, and you made your way into the third chapter, having gone through two chapters of creation. In the third chapter, you come to the fall and the introduction of sin and rebellion into the world. And there's a prophecy given there that Genesis records, and it says, I will put enmity between you, that's Satan, that would be the big red dragon, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So Satan will try to destroy the promised seed, but he will crush the head of the serpent. If you saw the Passion of the Christ, you saw Mel Gibson add a little extra detail to the biblical text of the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is praying about whether or not to go forward with the crucifixion the following day. And a snake symbolizing Satan slithers into the presence of Jesus in the garden. And Jesus rises in that setting, if you remember, and crushes the head of the serpent. Well, he was drawing on some of this imagery. It's not in the gospel accounts of Gethsemane, but that's what he was trying to depict. And Genesis said the day will come when the woman's seed will be the answer and the serpent will try to destroy him. And he'll bruise his heel, but he himself will be crushed. So you have this dramatic picture John is giving us between God's great plan of redemption and the forces of evil. I don't begin to understand all the details, but the overall picture is pretty clear for us. Uh, a lot of mornings I listen to Al Mohler's broadcast that comes out of Southern Baptist Seminary. And Al touches on events that probably are not going to make the nightly news, but which reflect things going on in our culture that define who we have become as modern 21st century Western culture. And he had a, a story that it was troubling to me when he got through with that. I could tell it was bothersome to him. It, it was really sickening to me, troubling. But it was a story that had come out in uh, some news reports about a woman who was a doula, D-O-U-L-A. I'd never heard that term used before. So maybe some of you that are in the medical community are familiar with that. And this doula was being honored for 2,000 experiences of what she did. Now, what a normal doula does is it's not a midwife that delivers a baby, but a doula is there just to comfort and encourage the woman who is giving birth. And she might take care of her needs or just say an encouraging word, uh, give her a pat. Uh, a Christian doula might pray with that woman throughout the hours of delivering that child. That's what a doula is supposed to be. Now, this woman's being honored for 2,000 doula experiences, but it had nothing to do with normal, healthy birth. It had to do with the subject of abortion. And this woman was being honored for 2,000 experiences of being there telling some young woman giving birth that she was making the right choice and taking the life of her child. 
And she was receiving special recognition for doing that 2,000 times. I tell you, I, I, I felt physically sick when I heard that. And that was being honored. That's who we, I, I said, Jesus, have mercy. That's what we've become as a culture, that that's honored. And if you've got a problem with that, you're the bad guy. That's our modern culture. The red dragon is there to destroy. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis as it bridges into Exodus. Joseph is the greatest character to me in the Old Testament. And Joseph is responsible for caring for his brothers and his father as they go down into Egypt. And Joseph has providentially risen to ruling over Egypt. And he becomes a caregiver for his family that will in Egypt become the nation of Israel. And the book of Exodus says there rises up a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph and didn't have that connection to Joseph. And he fears the growing number of Israelites. He's on a mission to destroy them and he calls for the midwives. When one of these Hebrew boys is born, take his life. The girls can live, but kill all the boys. It's there. If you haven't read that and you're not familiar with it, that was Pharaoh's mission. Pharaoh was a stand-in for the great red dragon. This purpose of God must be destroyed. You come on down into the New Testament age and the very familiar Christmas, we're going to be in Christmas before we blink, uh, the very familiar Christmas story, the Magi come from Parthia, old Persia, and they come to Jerusalem. They are kingmakers, and they come to Jerusalem to the Herodian domain, and they seek out King Herod the Great, and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod said, he didn't say it to them, but he's saying to them, I'm the king of the Jews. How dare they speak of someone taking that title? I'm the king of the Jews. And he says, uh, well, my theologians are telling me uh, what you're talking about is probably going to happen at Bethlehem. So go down there and find out about it and come back and tell me. I'd like to be a part of the party too. You come back and tell me. But the evil intent of Herod the Great was to stand in for the great red dragon and destroy the purposes of God. And of course, the Magi went down and they worshiped the baby Jesus with gold and frankincense and myrrh and extravagant gifts. And they worshiped and, and acknowledged that this one would be the one who would rule the nations. And, and then warned by God, they went home another way back across the desert and not back through Jerusalem. And in rage, the red dragon of Jerusalem, Herod the Great, sends his soldiers down to the little town of Bethlehem and kills all the boys to and under. His stand-in. For the red dragon. Destroy life. Destroy those who would fulfill God's purpose. Destroy this plan of God. We've talked a, a lot recently, I have, about the English Reformation and Bloody Mary's role and, and how she took 300 lives of people who were committed to Bible translation and the gospel being freely proclaimed in England. And on a mission to destroy this, she says, bring them here and not only take their lives, give them a torturous death. This plan will be stopped. And of course, she failed also. God's got a plan. But there is the great red dragon. Well, there's a shift to the third image. So we've seen the woman surrounded by the sun, standing on the moon with all the crowns, and she's giving birth. And then the great red dragon, who has uh, positioned himself to destroy the promise you come to the third image. 
And John says, and she, that's the woman in image one, she gave birth to a son, a male. It's a male, male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. He's talking about Jesus. Now, this is what you're not going to remember all these images and pieces, and maybe you're one of those that can paint a picture in your mind of all this, but just take home with you this. Our Jesus is going to win this battle, and he will rule the nations, all the nations, John says, with a rod of iron. He'll have an absolute grip on the created order. All the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And John takes a whole bunch of Bible and a lot of theology and puts it down to about a half a verse there. And he says, oh, by the way, that child is caught up to heaven, to God, and to his throne. I grew up in a church where they said the Apostles' Creed almost every Sunday. I'm not going to repeat all of it, but you come down deep into it where it's talking about Jesus. And it says, the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. So it talks of the ascension of Jesus from Acts 1, where he goes back to heaven after the resurrection and takes his rightful position as our great high priest and as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And John says in his image here, he will rule all the nations. And then just one last verse to the paragraph. And we'll return to this passage another time. It says, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days, which is about three and a half years, and it's probably the second half of the Great Tribulation, and we're not going to solve that puzzle today. We're not even going to take that puzzle out of the box this morning other than to just know that God has a plan for his people and a protection over them, and he is in control. So now we got an election in a couple of weeks. Depending on your, uh, your uh, politics and your worldview, you might or might not win that election. You might or might not have won or the loss of the last one. Uh, I don't know. That, we're not getting into politics this morning. I would just want to encourage you as a Christian today in this troubled world in which we live. Uh, as Jimmy was referring to the shootings yesterday, just crazy stuff out there in a crazy world. With some of that other stuff I mentioned before, and by the way, a pro-life church is the most compassionate, a, a proper pro-life church is compass true compassion. And this church and any true pro-life church is not here to harm or hurt or crush the feelings of anybody, but to encourage and you will find, if you're honest, that the Lord's people who understand that issue are the ones who really care and not those who just take the lid off and say everything's all right. That's the list of little side commentary. But Revelation 12 and the book of Revelation, indeed the, the whole of the Bible is saying there is a problem, there is a sin problem, and it is permeating Western culture today. But there is a solution in the promise and the promise is a person, and the promise is the male child born in Bethlehem to Mary and preserved by the sovereignty of God 
for our deliverance. He was crucified. He rose on the third day. He ascended back into heaven. He's there in absolute control. And he will, when all is said and done, when all the theological smoke has cleared, Jesus Christ will rule forever and ever and ever and ever. We skip chapter 11. We're going to come back to that in about a month and uh, do the hallelujah chorus. And it's, it's where you get that from. And John literally says there that he will rule unto the ages, the ages. Jesus reigns and rules in heaven above the clash that goes on between two worldviews today that will come to an end and our Jesus will prevail. That's the repeated promise and assurance of Scripture. Now, a lot of you are football fans, I know, because I, I, I heard you talking a little while ago about all the exciting stuff yesterday or depressing stuff yesterday, depending on where you're from. We all want to be on the winning team. And John's saying, I promise you, Jesus' team wins. You want to be on a winning team? Commit yourself to Christ and the lordship of Christ and the cause of Christ. It will prevail and Jesus will rule the nations unto the ages of the ages. That encourages me. Because I tell you, I can watch news. I can watch it on that channel or that channel and get depressed. They don't, that channel, they don't agree with each other. But I can watch either one and get plenty depressed about where we're at as a culture I can hear people talking and I say, even so, Lord Jesus, come. And the scripture says he is coming and he will rule and reign. And you should be profoundly encouraged by that reality. And it should shape everything about your choices and your worldview and your attitudes and the sense of hope you have in this present day. Our God is an awesome God. Our Savior is a powerful Redeemer. And who is on the Lord's side, the old song used to say. Who will stand for him? Bow your heads and join me in prayer, please. Father, we're grateful this morning for the undeserved and great high privilege of being on the Lord's side. We're grateful for John's words of old, 2,000-year-old words that declare this, this incredible battle of the ages between light and dark and good and evil. Lord, we can't begin to understand the fullness of this book, and we look forward someday to understanding it better. But we do get the main parts, and we do see this wondrous picture of the man-child coming into the fullness of his glory and ruling the nations. Give us hope today. Give us encouragement. Help us to have a heart for the nations. And may that show up in our missionary endeavors. May it show up in our local evangelism uh, may it show up in the family center tonight. Lord, help us to be focused on what you're doing, what you have done down through the millennia, and what you're doing in the 21st century. Lord, we want to be not just informed of that and encouraged by that. Lord, we want to be involved in that. So call us to obedience. Call us to discipleship. Call us to missions. Call us to your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.